This is Taste for Tenacity, show number 16. Lady, where your pants gone? Yeah. I'ma make you dance to my dance song. What is going on, everybody? My name is Ben Trella, and this is Taste for Tenacity. This week on the show, I am joined by Alan Donegan. Uh, he is the co-founder of the Pop-Up Business School. He's a speaker, presenter, and radio host. Alan, welcome to the show. Hello. How are you, Ben? Doing well. How are you? Excellent. I, uh, I'm really excited to hop into today's show. I first kind of heard your story through uh, the Bigger Pockets world uh, and have really, really enjoyed some of the insights you shared there. So uh, I'm glad to have you on and I'm looking forward to our conversation. Me too. All right. So let's kind of hop into it. Uh, so what did you do after school, whether you, know, you went to university or you went straight into the work, working world? When you started to become kind of the quote unquote adult, uh, what did that look like? What did you do? I'm not sure I became an adult for many years. I'm not <laughs> even an adult now, but let's not go there. Um, I, so I barely made it through uh, to 18 in education. Um, my dream was to work for my dad's business. My dad was an entrepreneur. He sold sportswear, Adidas, Nike, had shops. That's all I wanted to do. Education didn't, I didn't fit in in formal education that well being told what to do. Um, and struggled with it. Uh, and I, I really didn't get on well with education. Education didn't like me. The other kids didn't like me. I didn't enjoy it that much. Um, so I ditched it. My mum persuaded me to finish what we call in England my A-levels, so my uh, education up to 18. Okay. I just about scraped through and then went straight out to work for my dad, and it was straight into the workforce. Hmm. Okay, so you're, you're wrapping up your A-levels. You've already kind of come to terms with the fact that school wasn't the right fit for you. You had very different interests than you know, that traditional curriculum. What drew you toward uh, your dad's business specifically? There's a long pause because it's a good question. Um, <laughs> I think it was in a very cool area. It was sportswear. I loved soccer and playing football. I loved sportswear. Uh, and he always kind of had money in his pocket. He was always successful in some ways. Um, I didn't, before I went in, I hadn't seen the ups and downs he'd gone through. So I was always attracted to work with him. And I think you just wanted to work with your dad. It was cool. Uh, and he was cool at that stage. Yeah, definitely. It seems like there, was, there wasn't really much worry in, in when you were growing up as like, okay, we are not worried about money. This is an awesome business. You hadn't really seen the ups and downs. And so naturally, like, who doesn't want to work with their dad? <laughs> I think the ups and downs came a little bit later. Like I'd seen a few ups and downs and experienced them in some ways. Um, but actually some of them ended up being happy memories because my dad went bankrupt. Uh, and some of it was good, but the later bits after 18, when he went bankrupt properly and we were doing car boot sales or uh, yard sales to raise money to buy food, uh, they were not such good times and there was definite pressure to raise money. So my dad had a good business for a while, but he made some really interesting choices uh, and didn't save, didn't invest. Uh, he had very good times and didn't put anything away thinking it would continue ad finitum. And that's an interesting point too, because 
it's easy to kind of get lost in the good times and not prepare for, you know, the, the storm that's always on the horizon. Everything goes in seasons. There will always be a winter. There'll always be a summer. There's always a harvest time. And whilst things are going well, it is the time to put some money away and to save and to squirrel away the grains ready for the winter that there's always going to be one. Uh, and you've got to look after yourself. Definitely. So you start with your dad's business just out of school. Uh, you spend some time working there. What were you doing? What did those first couple of years uh, after school look like for you? Uh, it's quite an interesting time. Um, we did all sorts. So it's buying and selling sportswear. I worked a lot in the warehouse. So the big 40 foot containers would come in and I'd take all the t-shirts off and organize them in the warehouse. And then we'd sell them wholesale. Uh, I'd stock the shop. Um, he'd take me on buying trips. And one of my earliest memories of a buying trip was we went to Germany uh, to a distributor there who sold Adidas uh, or Adidas, as you would say in America. Yes, as we would say. <laughs> And um, I remember going round the store and it was just about the time that Predator boots came out. I don't know if you remember them, Predator soccer boots. They... Soccer boots with fins on them to make you be able to curl the ball like David Beckham. They were huh. very trendy back in the day. Uh, <laughs> and I spotted them on the shelf and I knew they were expensive in England. Uh, and the wholesaler was trying to get rid of some he couldn't sell. And he had 2,000 pairs available for, it was roughly £10 a pair. Okay. And I was saying to my dad, you've got to buy them. They're worth 60, 70 plus pounds in England. You've got yeah. to buy them. Yeah. Uh, my dad was a bit more nervous, so he bought half. Uh, and by the time we got back to England, we sold the whole lot for double. Jeez. Uh, so then we bought the other half on the phone immediately. Yeah. <laughs> we're selling them from there. And that was my first real taste. Because uh, a thousand pairs doubling your money, I made 10 grand by spotting those boots on the shelf. Jeez. Uh, and then the second time we sold them for a lot more. So I probably made with, you know, I didn't see this because it was his business, his profit. Yeah. And I got paid a salary. But I made probably 30K for the business with my spot. And that definitely inspired me uh, to think about what I could do in business and where I could go. And that's what like wins like that really give you inspiration and energy. Yeah. It's, it's something where you're familiar with the industry. You're, you're familiar with the lingo and, and what's currently in, in demand. And just by spotting those sitting on a shelf, you, you brought 30 K in. Yes. And I've never been trendy again since, but it was nice <laughs> to be trendy once. Yeah, that was that was your one little 15 minutes of uh, fame there, hey? <laughs> so you're working with your dad uh, and, you know, some some tougher times start to come up. What was that like for you? What was that experience like working with your father in, in some more troubling times? So the troubling times weren't good. My dad was my dad went bankrupt. He had massive money problems. He cheated on my mum. He, he caused endless problems and we fell out massively. Uh, and my parents were getting divorced. It all went completely wrong in a spectacular fashion. Hmm. And being in the family business and living with my mum at the time, I was caught in the middle of everything. 
Yeah. Um, but those tough times definitely taught me lessons that have been successful in business. And I think the thing to remember is when you go through tough times, if you can survive them, if you can learn from them, if you can grow from them, they will help make you into the person you are in the future. And I would not be a strong business person. I would not be who I am today if I had not been through that. Does not mean I enjoyed it. I hated it. It was a horrible experience. But those experiences have created the man that sits here today. Sort of a trial by fire type of growth. Yeah. Your biggest learning moments are normally when you get thrown in at the deep end. Okay. So, so these tough times come to pass. Uh, you work through them. What came next for you? Uh, I think well, there's two elements that shaped me there. One was after that happened, I decided I needed to get away for a bit. Um, so I'd left my family business. My parents were getting divorced. I went to see my girlfriend at the time and said, uh, I've always wanted to go to Brazil. Come with me. She said she didn't have any money. So I said, well, that's fine. I've saved. I'll pay. Then she said, well, actually, I don't really like you. Uh, <laughs> that's a very different problem from not having the money very different problem so uh, I got dumped there and then uh, and went to Brazil on my own uh, and spent three weeks poking around Copacabana Beach and Ipanema and eating Chucasaria Brazilian barbecue food and it sounds romantic but I was completely lost at the time having had the three main elements of my life disintegrate um, and as I was leaving, a friend handed me a book called Notes from a Friend by Tony Robbins. Uh, and it's a fairly gateway, rudimental, self-development, -develop, self self-help type book. Uh, but at the time I was young, changed my world, changed my way of thinking, changed everything. Um, and that sent me on a 20-year self-development learning drive to read as many books as I could, you know, Tony Robbins books leads to where did he get those thoughts from? And it leads to different subjects. And then you go down rabbit holes of information. Um, and that really was the catalyst. Uh, and one of the concepts he speaks about in there is called uh, CNAI, uh, can I? It's constant and never ending improvement. And that really struck a chord with me that if I wanted to get to where I wanted to get to, I needed to be constantly improving. Uh, and that has driven everything I've done since in terms of reducing the innovation cycle. So getting better quicker, doing feedback quicker, developing the product quicker, uh, learning, growing, reading. Um, and at one time, my business partner, Simon, used to like telling people I'd forgotten more about self-development than most people have ever read. Uh, <laughs> so I became a bit of a geek and that definitely changed things. Um, but alongside that 20-year journey, I went through a period of getting regular jobs uh, and was a salesman. I sold photocopiers. Uh, I did telesales for Panasonic. I did recruitment. Uh, did all sorts of jobs, after-school parties, ran a pub, worked in a warehouse. <laughs> I tried just about every job you could imagine uh, for a long time. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because I didn't know what I wanted to do and I never fitted in. I found, yeah, I was a landscape gardener for a while. Uh, and then I ran that landscape gardening firm. 
So I had 30 men in white vans. I used to tell where to go and what to do and all that stuff. Um, but I always struggled to fit in at these different firms. Um, but I had a lot of regular careers. Okay. So you, you spend three weeks kind of bumming around on the beach. You get back, you read uh, notes from a friend, that, that Tony Robbins book. And then you start to sort of get your mind right and start to kind of recultivate who you are, it seems like. What was that period like when you're kind of bouncing from job to job and, and trying to grow and develop and, and really reform who you are? I think I went through phases. So I get very excited and I throw myself entirely into things and I want it to be successful. Yeah. Uh, and I think probably three or four times in my career that I've thrown myself in and that's a bit unsettling for the existing people who are in the job and it's a job they're going to do for 40 years and they're just plodding along. And then I show up and go, right, let's change everything. Let's work hard. Let's do this. Let's do that. Come on. I've got full energy yeah. and great with the people I've gone into. And I'm sure some of your listeners are going to have that experience as they go into organizations full of energy and then people who are existing say, well, that's just not how we do things around here. Um, and I struggle. So I'm going very excited. Uh, quite often, there's probably a good three or four times I've had people actively work against me and sabotage what I'm doing because they didn't like me shaking things up. Uh, and... Yeah, that resulted in being paid to leave two jobs um, and a whole host of different things. But I struggled to fit in. Uh, and what I've learned is when you're in a job, it's a totally different set of skills to when you're an entrepreneur. And a job, you go in, people tell you what to do. You have a fairly clear structure. An entrepreneur, you have to make that stuff up for yourself. Uh, and I am far better when there's no restrictions and I have to make stuff up for myself, but that does not suit everyone. And some people need structure and it, it really does depend on you as a person as to which way you go. And so it seems like when you join a, join a new firm or join a new company, when you come on and you're full of energy, you have new ideas. It almost seems like it'd be more important for, whoever's in charge to sort of embrace that and start to see how can we tweak our existing company to sort of incorporate some of these new thoughts and new ideas. And generally the top people did and were quite excited about it. It was the middle layers of management and the different areas in between that didn't necessarily like my youthful exuberance yeah. and desire to make stuff happen. And I also, I was young, I was naive. I didn't always know the best way. Um, and I maybe just bulldoze different ideas in uh, and some of it they may well have tried and it didn't work. Um, but that didn't stop me going, well, I want to try too. Yeah. Uh, and I was young, I was naive, I was full of energy. And sometimes you need to take a step back, understand people and connect. I did not know how to do that at that time. Hmm. So for any young people that find themselves, you know, that, that vibrant, that exuberant, that excited to take on and tackle new problems, how can they sort of learn from that discomfort that you experienced? What can they do to really hop into a business and start to navigate those, those connections in that, that sort of almost treacherous environment? 
So step one is understand first. Uh, so you've got to ask questions, you've got to connect. The people within the business have to feel like you understand them and feel like you've got their best interests in heart. And the only way to do that is ask questions and really connect. Uh, I didn't always do that. I just decided what was best and went for it. Um, so step one is connect. Once you've connected and understood, then it's about working with people. And the sentence that's really helped me in the in the time since is people support what they co-create. Um, so if you've got an idea, go to the group of people who are in charge, work with them and co-create it. Even if the idea comes from you, if you can get them to believe it was their idea, they'll be excited to implement it because they'll get some of the credit. Um, and then step three is about the push through and the follow through. Uh, I wasn't very good at being rejected uh, and I used to get annoyed and stop. Um, and there is definitely, in the name of the podcast, Taste for Tenacity, there is an element of if you can push through, persevere, be tenacious, follow the ideas through, make it happen, uh, you will get there. Uh, and then the final element if all else fails, and this is probably what got me in trouble, but it serves me so well in later years, uh, is ask for forgiveness, not permission. And I'm definitely a believer, if you can make it happen and show it works, people will buy in later. They won't be happy, uh, and you may lose some connection there, but they'll be impressed that you make it happen. And there are so few people in this world who are actually able to make things happen. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. Definitely getting people's buy-in and showing them how it will benefit them, it'll benefit the company. And like you said, co-creating seems to carry ideas a lot further. Yes, definitely. Um, that sentence, people, people support what they co-create, has really helped us in sales for our existing business. Because if you go in and tell people, here's what I do, they will either say yes or no. If you go in and understand their problem and then come up with the solution together, even if it's the solution you've already thought of, uh, you're far more likely to get them on board and purchasing and buying what you do. So it works in entrepreneurship, it works in business, it works with your family, it works in every area of life. Yeah, so understand the context, understand the people you're working with and connect with them. Then, you know, people support what they co-create. So work together side by side to sort of develop those, those results and develop that structure and, and problem solve. And then follow through and worst case scenario, ask for forgiveness over permission. Yes, definitely. Huh. Okay, so you're in this period of honestly just challenge after challenge, trying to break through different organizations, slowly starting to learn that you're more entrepreneurial and you thrive outside of that traditional structure. Could you walk us through what sort of that realization was like, how you came to it and what was sort of the turning point where you understood who you are as, as a person, as a worker, as a professional? That's a big question, Ben. Um... I think there's many different elements to it that happened over time. Uh, one was a continual battering against businesses and ending up not getting where I wanted to. But the owners of the businesses were impressed what, with what I was doing, but struggling to fit into those structures. 
And that starts to lead to think, well, I should just do my own thing. And actually after I got hired or paid to leave my last job, um, I looked around at all the other jobs out there and I just couldn't find one that excited me. And after reading so many self-development books and then talking about starting businesses, I started to think, well, I just need to do my own thing. Uh, and some of these self-development courses had such a profound impact on my own life that I then got excited to share what I'd learned with other people. And that formed the core of my business. Uh, and actually, I think that's one of the major important things is if you're not excited about doing it. So we talk about pop-up, about being excited about running a business or being excited about a job. Like you can do anything. You can. I am constantly staggered by the breadth and variety of jobs that exist out there. You could do anything. Why would you ever pick one that's average? I, I just don't get it. It's no sense. And we're all in different things. So you like something different to me. I like something different to the other people. We all like different things. So just pick something that excites you. Uh, and I think for many years, I didn't pick things necessarily that excited me. I just took what was there. Um, I'm going to do a weird dating analogy, Ben, um, but hopefully this will make sense. Uh, you've heard of the concept of kissing the first girl that shows interest at the dance. Okay. Yep. So what happens in business or uh, getting a job is quite often we just take the first thing that comes along. We kiss the first girl that shows interest in us okay. without taking time to work out what kind of girl we want to be with. And that's a crude analogy for boys. You can do the analogy the other way around. You know, the girl, the first boy that shows interest, they're probably not the right one. Don't go for them. Work out what you want before you kiss the boy. Um, and in business, it's kind of a similar thing. Don't just take the first opportunity that comes along. Don't just take the first job that comes along. Start to work out, and this was part of your question, what are your values? What's important to you? What excites you? What gets you buzzing? How, when do you come to life? When does time evaporate? You know, that state where you're doing something and four or five hours disappears? And it feels like it never happened. It feels like a split second. If you can find that, and I get it. I get it when I'm writing a blog. I get it when I'm designing a PowerPoint. Uh, that sounds a bit geeky, but I love a good PowerPoint. <laughs> I get it when I'm delivering a presentation. I get it. I get it doing podcasts like this. Like I know when I come to life and that's what I should be doing. That's what I should be spending my time doing and helping people with. And so get for the people listening to your podcast, for you, the listeners, start to work that stuff out. Don't kiss the first person that shows interest in you. Work out what you want. That's brilliant. Okay. So, so you, you're on this self-development journey, the self-development kick, and you realize you need to do your own thing. Uh, what did that look like? What was that first thing you started working on? So the first thing I started uh basically i went on training courses for myself because i was interested one of them was an nlp training course and 
stands NLP. for neurolinguistic programming. It's uh, a gotcha. subject. There was a couple of people who came up with it: Richard Bandler and John Grinder. And it's a set of tools for thinking to help you feel more confident, solve phobias, help you feel good. Gotcha. And it made a big impact on my life. And I became evangelical about sharing that. And the first business I set up was a training company to do that. Now, what I didn't realize was that everyone who ever goes on an NLP course wants to become an NLP trainer. And the market was quite saturated and busy. And I struggled doing that. But the experience of writing courses, training people, sharing knowledge inspired me to want to do more. And throughout the years, that's all I've wanted to do is to help other people. And I get the biggest buzz from running courses, writing articles, helping other people. And that was, that's been the foundation of every business I've run since is delivering value to other people through education. Huh. So you start that first LNLP course, that training packet, and you realize that is not the thing to do. That's like you said, way oversaturated. Um, what came next? What was sort of the next iteration of you delivering value and helping educate other people? So actually, I, I realized that if I wanted to run training courses, I'd better be a good public speaker. And I wasn't. I was shy. Um, so I joined Toastmasters. I read all the books. I went on all the courses. I started to win the Toastmasters competitions uh, and really enjoyed that. They have the World Championship of Public Speaking, which is an incredible contest. Um, they have a quarter of a million entrants from 100 plus countries. Jeez. Like an incredible contest. Um, and then I started to learn humorous public speaking and did a bit of stand-up comedy. And just, I learned and learned and learned and learned and loved it. And for any of your, any of your listeners, like going to Toastmasters and learning public speaking skills, I don't care what career you're in, that will help you. Uh, and that is it's also the one thing that Warren Buffett says, learn is speaking skills, persuasion, influence, being able to deliver a message is so important. So I learned that and then I got good at it and people started to ask me to run courses in it. So I started a business called Enjoy Presenting uh, and it helped people to enjoy presenting, funny enough. Huh. Um, and I ran courses teaching presenting and I think my big break came when I landed Microsoft as a client and I was running a two-day course called Coaching for Presence. It was about having more presence, impact and charisma when pitching to C-level executives. Hmm. Uh, and yeah, one of my favorite quotes is for a while I was teaching PowerPoint. I was teaching Microsoft how to use PowerPoint, which I always <laughs> That should uh, that should be your your resume headline right there. <laughs> <laughs> and so to take a, a quick tangent because this is definitely something that could be helpful for for people that are in this space. What are one of the two one or two key takeaways from uh, how to be that charismatic and how to become more engaging when you're a presenter? There's so much like the, the course I used to do for Microsoft was two days. Um, oh, yeah. So I guess the steps are number one, working on your own internal confidence and self-belief because that's at the root of being able to deliver a strong message 
if you're not confident in yourself and what you can do, it's very hard to deliver a good message. Number two is when you're delivering it, it's not the words that matter, it's how you deliver it. So it's the tone of voice, the eye contact, the expression, the proximity of your body to the other person. All of those elements are judged to decide whether you actually believe what you're saying or not. So developing the skills to use your expressions, your body, your tone to be able to deliver a good message uh, makes a massive, massive difference. And I'm assuming, Ben, you have a fairly young audience listening. Yes, for the most part. Uh, that young audience, one thing I would say is I want you to notice, Ben, what does it mean if your tone goes up at the end of a sentence? It's a question. It's, yeah, it is a question. It's either a question or you're Australian, one or the other. <laughs> um, it's actually called question intonation, hmm. where everything you say sounds like a question. And you're not really sure of yourself. And it's really annoying. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and actually that's the second time it comes out is when people don't have confidence in what they're saying and they're not sure of themselves hmm. and young people tend to use question tone more often because they're looking for reassurance confirmation they're looking to not be as harsh with what they say i've had to train that stuff out of me because if i delivered my message here today to your audience saying yeah i really think you should go to toastmasters they're just going to, they're not going to, they're not going to believe it. They're not going to connect. And it's not the words, it's the way I'm delivering it. And that's one example of how you can shoot yourself in the foot. I hear it at interviews all the time. I'm really excited to work here. Huh. Like, are you really? <laughs> are you sure about that? <laughs> and it's the tone. It's the tone, the body language, the eye contact that really will change how you deliver your message. So that, becoming self-aware of your own, you can say the right words, but you say your them in the presence. right presence. Yeah, your own presence, your own style, your own delivery, your own natural proclivity to the way you say sentences will change the impact on other people. And I've had to develop a different style that is impactful. <laughs> so be very aware of, of how you're presenting yourself and what you're, what you're, conveying solely by your words your physical actions the whole nine yes definitely and actually the tone and the body language is far more important than words hmm. so people people remember how you make them feel a lot more than solely what you say definitely hmm. okay so so you're you're going through you're learning you're doing toastmasters you're giving presentations you're you're starting to to cultivate these good habits and these good presentation habits within yourself what was the next step for you? What was your, your next progression? It was then selling it. So starting to sell the courses and actually as an entrepreneur, that was my most painful point getting going was the sales. Um, I knew if I wanted to sell to large organizations, I had to get on the phone with them. Hmm. And I was petrified of making cold calls. Uh, and that's one of the most painful things I've had to ever overcome and I remember I got a mentor for a while his name was Ed really nice guy he's trying massively to help me we'd spend an entire morning doing calls and I'd run I don't know 100 numbers 
one person had shown marginal interest uh, and then Ed was trying to coach me about what I should have done with that reply. And actually I said, uh, like, I didn't approach it in the right way. I didn't get the business. So I'd spent all that energy and failed. And I remember walking outside his office. I sat on the wall. I burst into tears because I felt if I couldn't do this, I could never be successful. And that was probably one of the darkest moments was sat on that wall crying uh, because I couldn't get business. And it took me a long time to overcome that uh, and the fear of talking to strangers. And I still get it. Um, I still get it. One of the things that has helped massively uh, is I call it the three second rule. If I'm ever scared of doing something, approaching someone, making a call, uh, I give myself three seconds. And I know if I do it within side three seconds, I'll actually do it. If I don't, I'll end up going into the internal dialogue of what could go wrong, what could happen, and I'll talk myself out of it. So it either happens in three seconds or I let myself off. And actually now I force myself to do it within three seconds. Just pick up the phone, ring, it's over, it's done. And it's always better than you think it's going to be. So you developed a shot clock sort of to force yourself to take that action. Yes, because I still have the capacity to be able to talk myself into feeling nervous and crap about doing calls uh, if I let myself do it. But I don't let myself go down that path very often anymore. Hmm. And so it seems like you really have to be in tune with where you're at emotionally and with what you're facing to, to know when to trigger that shot clock and to when just take that action. Yeah, definitely. You have to notice what's going on in your own head and what you're saying to yourself and how you're talking to yourself. Because actually you can talk to yourself in or out of anything. You just have to control the dialogue. Yes. Yeah. And the interesting thing is that internal voice is yours anyway. So why are you letting it speak to yourself like that? I don't get it, but I, I, I did that for years. I spoke yeah. to myself very badly, um, but now I don't let it speak to me that way. So you, you sort of start to overcome this, this internal voice and you start to reframe the picture and do you hop right back onto calls? What's, what's your next step from, from that wall and from growing because of it? Uh, so in general, I got better at sales. Uh, it took a long time, took a lot of books, took a lot of courses, but I worked and I got better at sales. And every time I improved sales, funny enough, I made more money. And my business grew and I delivered more value and I got better at doing what I did. Uh, and the more I improved at sales, the more progress I made. Uh, and I started saving, started investing, uh, then sort of flowed into starting pop-up business school um, and continued to save and invest as we went. And my wife at this point had a, a very good job. She was saving, I was building a business and I was saving. And that mounted up very quickly uh, to get us to financial independence. Um, but sales was definitely a huge part of my progression. It seemed like all you needed to do was get that first bit of momentum, get that first ball rolling. And then from there, it gave you the opportunities to practice and to hone your skills. You just had to get the first one. Yes, and if you get the first one and stop, you're never going anywhere. 
you have to get the first one and then you have to press in and keep going and dive on. You, you can't just get one and go, woohoo, I've got my first one. I'm born successful now. That's it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. So yes, getting the first one is critical and gives you a learning opportunity and improvement and then credibility that you can do it again. But you still have to make it happen repeatedly week in, week out afterwards. It's not just that first instance. You have to continue to build that momentum because otherwise it'll disappear. Yes. So you also mentioned a term in there that I do want to dive in a bit more on. Uh, and we touched on it earlier in the show with Scott Trench. It was show number seven, uh, financial independence. How do you define it? Uh, what does it mean for our listeners? So there's a fairly simple mathematical sum uh, called the 4% guideline, uh, which is you take the pot of money you have, times by 4%, and if you can live off that per year, you will never deplete the pot and you'll be financially independent. The other way of doing that, the reverse of 4% is 25 times. So if you work out how much you need to live each year, multiply it by 25. If you've got that saved in investments, uh, the vehicle most of the FI world uses is index funds. If you've got it saved and invested in an index fund, that will never run out and you will have that money amount of money to live off for the rest of your life. So if you want to live off 40 grand a year, you need a million pounds invested and you'll never, well, dollars. If you put $40,000 to live off a year, then you need a million dollars invested uh, and that will produce that each year for you. And whether you work or not, you get to live off that cash and therefore you don't have to work anymore, which is an interesting point. So financial independence is really a way to, to build that financial stability into your life so that you can take more opportunities that you're interested in. Yes, financial independence is a route to freedom to doing whatever the hell you would like to do. Um, and getting to that point. So my wife and I crossed that number about a year or so ago. Uh, and it's quite an interesting experience because you no longer need to turn up to work every day. And actually, you then start in question, asking questions of what would I do? I don't need to earn money. What do I actually want to do with my day? How do I want to spend my life? Where do I want to go? Where, what dreams have I had that I've been putting off? Um, and it's a very interesting point in your life. Uh, there is a counter-argument to FI, uh, the counter argument to FI is I love my job. I don't ever want to quit. Why would I bother? Uh, the answer to that is you love your job now, but that stuff changes. And the thing you love now, do you see yourself doing it for the next 40, 50 years? That can be a scary thought. So I think even if you love what you do, it's worth building that financial independence pot. And actually the last things I've been doing pop-up business school, I have loved what I've done. Uh, but financial independence has now given me the ability to do it more on my terms. So I don't have to be there day in, day out. I can take time to do other projects, go other places, hang out with you on a podcast in the morning. Um, so even though if you love what you're doing, this can give you long-term freedom. Gotcha. So, so FI and financial independence, it's, it's a vehicle toward freedom, just like you said. 
Awesome. So you also you also touched on pop up business school, uh, and I do want to kind of delve into that. What did you build? Uh, what did you create there? So pop up business school. Uh, last year we ran forty four two week workshops around the world, and helped nearly two and a half thousand people to build businesses. Uh, there's a team of twelve people: uh, Simon, Henry, the gang. Uh, that go around the world running courses, helping people to start up. Um, two things. One is all of our workshops are free. Uh, so a two week long workshop teaching you the latest strategies on how to build businesses is completely free. Uh, we go out and get sponsorship and funding for it. And then we use that to be able to pay for the courses and give them all away for free, which I really, really enjoy. Uh, Second is, methodology tends to be the complete opposite of what most people do. Um, so if you go to a traditional business advisor and you say, I have an idea for a business, you go and see your lecturer on business or whoever it is, what's the first thing they're going to tell you to do, Ben? Uh, develop a business plan. And then what's the purpose of a business plan? To get money, to have that specific... Uh, idea in mind and that is the world's way of starting a business is write a business plan work out how much money you need to borrow and go into debt yeah i've been in debt my dad uh went massively into debt and lost our family home it's not a comfortable place to be and yet we still preach that that's the only way to start a business uh, so we do the complete opposite. No business plans, no debt. Here's how to start a business for free. And roughly 35% of people who come on our courses make their first sale before the end of the workshop. Wow. Uh, so we are the total opposite or complete different way to the traditional stuff that is taught out there. And yeah, that's what I've spent the last seven years doing. That's awesome. So, so you've been building this, you, you've reached your financial independence number. Uh, and so now we'll start to kind of pivot to the second half of the show. What is some of the advice that you would give your 18 to 20 year old self? 18 to 20 year old self. Uh, so actually, number one is you don't, you don't know yourself yet. <laughs> Uh, start working stuff out, start exploring yourself, start learning what you do and don't like. And actually try a whole plethora of jobs. Get out there, try this, try that, and be quicker. One of the things we speak about in the business world when hiring staff is hire slowly, fire fast. And actually, I think that people who are getting jobs can apply that to employers. Uh, so I would say, if you're not enjoying the job and you don't, like, it just doesn't work, fire them quickly and try another one. Uh, and fire your employers if it's not working or at least chat to them and then fire them. Yeah. Um, but if you try five, six, 10, 12 careers whilst you're 20, it makes no difference. Uh, and then you'll find one you like. Once you've found one you like, stick at it. And I'm channeling my inner granny here. Uh, she used to bash on me going, stick at it, stick at it. Because I'd do a job for a year and move on. And then I'd do a job for another year and move on. Uh, and one, part of the magic is about getting good at what you do. And it takes at least a year to get into a job. Hmm. 
Um, so what I would say is if you're not enjoying it and you don't like it, get out as quickly as possible and then try another one and another one and another one. And I'd rather you tried 12 jobs in the space of 12 months to find one you like and then stuck at it because that's when the magic happens and you make real progress. But you don't know which one you're going to like until you've had a go at a lot of different ones. Um, and don't be afraid. It's like quitting a movie halfway through. Like sometimes movies are dreadful and that's okay. You need to move on. I watched the latest Quentin Tarantino movie the other day. <laughs> I, I don't, he's lost the plot. Uh, <laughs> I should have left. Oh, it did not do it for me. Once upon a time in Hollywood, save your life. Do not go and see it. <laughs> I should have left halfway through. Actually, you then get, well, I've spent my $10. It's the sunk cost. I'll sit through it all. I should have saved my life. Save some of your life. Change jobs quicker. Once you find a good one, stick at it and follow it all the way till the end. Awesome. Uh, so what are some of, and we've, we've touched on these briefly throughout our conversation, what's some of the sort of key takeaways from the projects that you've worked on? I know we mentioned, you know, how to, to present better, uh, how to start to piece together who you are and what you actually care about. Is there anything else that you'd like to share that you've learned over time? I think the thing that's had the biggest impact on my life is education. And I'm not talking about school, college, university. Uh, it's the education I did afterwards by reading the books, listening to the podcasts, going on the courses, investing in myself. That's the real education that you can then go out and apply. So if there was one place I would say to your audience to invest, it's in their own education buy books, go on courses, listen to podcasts. Uh, there's so much free education out there. It's unbelievable. But learn, 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 because that is an investment that will pay dividends throughout your life. Uh, and I'm 40 now, so I've been on the self-development journey for about 20 years. And that learning and that education now, it, it's mine, it's there. It, it, it's owned it's an asset and I've spent money on it I've spent a lot of money on it but it has set me to where I am today so start early and invest in yourself awesome well Alan Donegan you are the co-founder of the pop-up business school it has been an absolute pleasure chatting with you that's awesome and if any of your listeners need help launching a business just Google pop-up business school. The courses are free. They'll always be free. Come along to that. And if they want to know about financial independence, I have a little blog at alandonegan.com. They can come over and have a listen and a read. And yeah, anything I can do to help your listeners, let me know. Awesome. We will drop links to both of those in the show notes. That way you guys have easy access to them. Alan, it's been a pleasure. Thanks very much, Ben. And that does it for our show with Alan Donegan from the Pop-Up Business School. One thing I really like about Alan's story is that he points out how much opportunity there actually is around us. We didn't touch on it during this show, but on a previous podcast that I listened to that he was a guest on, he shared a story of the fact that he had seen a job posting for a Lego designer, a professional Lego designer where you were paid a salary to sit in a room and play with Legos all day. There's 
different podcasts, this show I'm doing now. Uh, there's so many different opportunities and channels out there that we can tap into that traditional career paths aren't the only answer anymore. He also touched on a topic that's particularly near and dear to my heart, which is personal finance and particularly financial independence. Financial independence is essentially a way to insulate yourself from external forces, whether that's starting to hate your job or other external events like losing your job entirely. Things can happen that can totally shift your world and financial independence in building a strong financial position is a really good way of insulating yourself from that. If you want to hear more about personal finance in particular, uh, take a listen to show number seven. That was with Scott Trench. Uh, he wrote the book Set for Life. He's the president and CEO. I believe he's the CEO over at Bigger Pockets. Awesome guy. He has an absolutely incredible book, again, called Set for Life. I would highly recommend if you're looking to get into personal finance and start to build your financial position. From Taste for Tenacity, show number 16, this is Ben Trella. Thanks for listening.